0: Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Hesham Hasabala in another episode of the Healthcare Musings podcast. Very happy to have you with me. Okay, so moving on in uh, my series about getting a job, what every resident and fellow needs to know. So last time we talked about the fact that if they offer you a humongous salary, that's a huge red flag, and you should scrutinize that job offer and that contract closely. And now I want to start embarking in the different types of employment that you may uh, get offered to. Um, And we'll start with the traditional private practice. Now, when I came out of training, this was when the dinosaurs still roamed the earth. Uh, Most jobs were private practice jobs. uh, And the employed physician model was there and growing. uh, And still there was a lot, there were a lot of jobs, or most, many, if not most jobs were private practice jobs. So what what is private practice? Nowadays, I think the private practice is going by the wayside and in some specialties that decline has accelerated dramatically uh, more so than other specialties like for example many dermatology practices are still private private practices many are becoming acquired by private equity and that's a whole nother animal um, that we may or may not address in the future and uh, more other specialties such as cardiology uh, critical care uh, many of those uh, um, jobs are employed positions either employed by large practice private groups like mine or by hospitals and hospital systems and so but let's first talk about private practice because there are still some out there and it's important to know what they are and what to look for and the pitfalls that you may face so, a private practice is in essence a small business. Okay. It was founded by one or more doctors um, who started the small business, and their small business is in healthcare. And so for my in, in my in my instance, it was a practice started by someone who literally began practicing the year I was born. And he built up this private practice and he developed relationships with multiple hospitals and multiple primary care groups and other referring physicians and built a, built a, a business uh, providing pulmonary medicine and critical care medicine to community hospitals in the inpatient setting and the outpatient setting. And so every one of them is a small business. And so when you, when they're offering to hire an associate that, you know, they are hiring you in their small business. Now, many, so, so the, I just You have to understand, because it's a, it's a small business, the salary that is offered may not be as high as a salary offered by a health system, which has a lot more resources. Because you have to understand, when you apply for a job in a, in a private practice, you are not earning any revenue. It takes several months for you to be credentialed by insurance companies, credentialed by hospitals, and getting and, and start earning money on the, on the work that you're doing from, from government insurance and private insurance. It takes time. And so, in the first six months, you're not all of the, the whole the small business is paying your salary and everything out of its own pocket. And again, they may not be able to pay you as high of a salary. Um, that's, that's a given because it's just they don't have the, the resources, it's, it's a small business. And, and, so, and if, it, if that's okay, and the, 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 the potential or the, the potential upside is that you're, you, can, you can potentially become an owner of a small business, right? And, they're, they're in, and now all of the profits of that small business, can, you can share in the profits of that small business. Uh, so when, when, you know, when you're an associate, any profits that are at the end of the year... After all the salaries are paid out, all the revenue has been generated, any excess profits goes to the owners of the practice. In some practices, it's just one person. And in other practices, it's the partners, what's what's called the partners. I think law firms are very similar to this model. They're they're, they're small businesses. they're They're small corporations. So when you're an associate, you are just an employee. You get your salary. Maybe they'll give you a bonus depending on how much revenue that you generate they may or may not do that and 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 then any profit that's left over is divided among the partners either the owner or or the partners and so the potential the great potential is that in you're in a private practice after working however many years you can become an owner a part owner of the practice and that's the and that's the potential upside and if the practice is very successful generating millions of dollars in revenue and millions of dollars in profits you get, you know, potentially some, some do and others don't, but you potentially, there's there could be a, a major financial windfall. And that's the advantage of having a private practice is that you're not, quote unquote, owned by anyone. You're, you're an owner of a business yourself. And then when that, when that practice is sold, you potentially can get a lot of money because you're an owner of that business. And a lot of people make their retirements and make their financial fortunes uh, by having their businesses sold, although typically many, many of the time they're not medical practices, but, it's all, but, but it is possible. It's definitely possible that you can um, earn a significant financial windfall when you sell your private practice at, at the end of your career. Now, the question is, can you buy into the practice? Can you become partner? Number one. And then if they say, oh, of course you can, then, you add, then the question is, after how long can I become a partner? Is it is it one year, two years, three years, five years, 10 years? That's, that's, <laughs> those are valid questions. Am I going to be slaving away and earning all this profit for the owners for 10 years before I can get a piece of that pie? Or is it two years, three years? I think what's reasonable and what typically happens is about after two or three years, they want to they they see, are you loyal? Are you loyal to the practice? Are you loyal to the business? It costs a lot of money to onboard a new physician to a practice, a lot of money. And it's and turnover is very expensive for any practice, whether it's a large uh, hospital-based practice or a private group or a small private practice. Uh, on, turnover is very difficult. It's very expensive. So they want to see, uh, is there loyalty to this person? Sometimes they have sign-on bonuses. A lot of private practices don't. They just don't have the money to do that. Uh, the, the bigger systems and the bigger groups are are able, are able to afford to give a, a sign-on bonus. But when you get a sign-on bonus, we'll talk about this more in the future, that comes with strings attached. It comes with a, with a commitment guarantee and you have to pay it back if you don't meet that commitment. So so the, the question is, okay, is there, can I become partner? Yes, you can. After how many years? If it's 10 years, that may not be the best place for you to be, right? If it's after two or three years, that's typically pretty reasonable. They want to see that you're loyal to the practice and they reward that, that loyalty um, by offering you ownership in the, in the business. Now, the other question is, how do they, vet when you become partner after, say, three years, how do they value the practice? That's key, right? If we've, we've watched that show on, uh, on television, Shark Tank, right? And when they say, I want to give you a million dollars for 20% of the business, that means that that person values his business at $5 million so how does the how do the owners value their uh business how are they going to determine what's called the buy in and what a buy in is is that basically you are paying money for shares in the corporation and if you pay i don't know how much money and you get 20% of the shares of the corporation that means you own 20% of the business and you should theoretically get 20% of the profits at the end of the year when all the expenses and the revenue have been you know added and subtracted that's the theory right so how do they determine that valuation and and some if it's reasonable sometimes it's very reasonable we all we look at all of the assets that we have the the hardware and the the furniture and the rent and everything and then and then we um just divide that up and you you buy into it and that's how much the shares are worth, that seems reasonable. Sometimes people will say, oh, well, you have to pay 20% of accounts receivable. Now let me just explain what accounts receivable is. Accounts receivable is all all the money that is owed by customers to the business for services rendered, okay? So in a medical practice, the accounts receivable are all the bills that have been sent to patients uh, and their insurance companies, okay? Now, okay, that seems, yeah makes sense. Here's the rub. I, my, I can inflate my accounts receivable by charging, uh, you know, exorbitant amounts on the bill, right? So, for example, if I see you in a consult in the office, I can charge the insurance company $10,000. But more than likely, I'm going to be contracted with the insurance company. I'm not going to get to paid ten. not even close to that. I'm going to get paid three hundred dollars, but my accounts receivable is ten thousand dollars, right? How much of that accounts receivable is going to be written off contractually by the insurance company? It's probably a lot. So you have to be very careful when they say, "Oh, well, you just pay twenty percent of AR, you know, accounts receivable." <laughs> well, if you if you inflate them the number of the AR to ten million dollars, and you have to pay two million dollars, that's that's ridiculous. And there are some pra- private practices that do that, and so. That's a red flag. If they don't even want to tell you how they determine the buy-in, uh, beware, right? Because now you've worked and worked and worked, and you're expecting, and then they say, "Okay, oh our buy-in is five hundred thousand dollars." You may not have five, you know, especially if you have a lot of debt and you've just got a mortgage and you're starting a family. You may not have five hundred thousand dollars laying around that you can buy in and and use that to buy into the practice. That's that's that that and that's a way that. The, that some private practices, unscrupulous ones, limit the ability of people to buy in and and share in the profit of the company, right? And then and their strategy is just what churn and burn, right? Oh, we'll just get another chump after you and do and do the same thing to them. And and if and notice if the private practice has had a lot of turnover, a lot of doctors come and leave. Ask why. Figure out why. Maybe they're. They're just unscrupulous and after three or two or three years of hard work and they say you're buying $750,000 and then, and, then, and then they end up leaving and you've potentially wasted three years of your life. So be very careful of, uh, about over how they value the business itself. And if it's reasonable, then, 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 then definitely that's a good private practice to uh, join. Um, and the other, th- and, and, and something that you could probably do that everything's negotiable. Maybe you forego a percentage of your salary, say 10, 15% of your salary. And rather than take that, or if you have a bonus at the end of the year, maybe forego taking the bonus. If you can live on the base salary, maybe forego taking the bonus. And then rather than waiting three years and then buy in, maybe at the end of that first year, your bonus can go towards equity. So for example, Now, of course, you could save the money and then just save it up and then buy in that way. Or to maybe share into the in the equity sooner, maybe after a year, take your bonus and say, give me equity after year one, the amount that the bonus is worth. If it's 10%, then after year one, I now own 10% of the company. At the end of year two, I should get 10% of the profits. Then at the end of year two, I take some of that bonus. And I put it into equity. Now I own after a year two, 20%. And after a year three, 30%. And then it just depends on how much of the business you're allowed to own, right? If there are four partners, you're going to come in as the fifth partner, then you're going to own, theoretically, you're going to own 20%. Sometimes the senior partners aren't willing to sell equal partnership. And that's another thing you have to take a look at. Are they willing to make you an equal partner or not? Maybe they're not. Sometimes the boss... And that's what it was with mine. The boss always wanted to maintain maintain majority share of the company, right? So he'll sell 10% of the of the of the business to me, right? But he still wants to own 50%. So he gets 50% of the profits. Um, there are some practices like that, and other practices, everyone's equal, and they're just equal partners. And we're we're nine partners, and we divide it nine ways equally. That's the best, really. If you have once you become partner, you're equal to everyone else, and you just you just divide the, 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 the profits equally. And then bonuses. Sometimes they give you productivity bonuses. Well, how are they determined? What if I'm working the most out of all the partners and I get the same bonus as everyone else? That's, that's not fair. If I'm doing the majority of the share of the work, I should be getting a, 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 a bigger bonus than the, the other partners who are, who are working half as hard. That's also very important to, to make sure that you ask. Um, and then overhead, how is overhead? It's a small business. There is electricity and rent and uh, lease payments and paper and staff salaries and staff insurance costs and your health insurance costs. And maybe you have a pension or a retirement account. All those things go into overhead. How is overhead divided? I mean, if, is it divided equally among all of, all of the, the partners? Or is one? Are you paying more of your overhead, which takes away from your profit? If you if you become partner, those are all very important questions to ask before entering into an employment agreement with with a private practice. Um, so there's a lot of potential upside in a private practice, and you just have to be careful from from these um, uh, downsides. And if anyone comes to me after we're done recording this episode, I'll put them in the uh, in the show notes. Anyway, thanks so much for your time and attention. And uh, until next time, this is uh, Dr. Hesham Hasabala signing off on the Healthcare Musings Podcast. Take care, everybody.